This is Linux Unplugged, episode 42 for May 27th, 2014. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's still celebrating Towel Day. My name is Chris. And my name is Matt. Hey, Matt. You know, it is episode 42, so it felt only appropriate to give a shout out. And guess what? What's that? Big show today. Big show. Big show today. Uh, So, uh, Liam from uh, GamingOnLinux.com and also a writer for Linux Voice joins us to discuss the Witcher 2 controversy. He, He took to the web, he wrote on Gaming on Linux that... We need to stand back and push against these kind of ports because these could harm the long-term viability and perception of Linux as a gaming platform. So he's going to come on, and Liam will talk to us about his opinion on why maybe The Witcher 2 is a bigger problem than perhaps we were originally suspecting. And then uh, if we get through all of that after our email and feedback as well and the follow-up on the poll from last week, uh, I have a really big announcement to make. Huge announcement. Big, big announcement. Biggest announcement ever. Wow. I don't know, that might be overselling it. But it's probably Maybe in the top three. For forever as of yet or whatever. Yeah. Well, I'd say it's in the top three. Cool. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if we get to it. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. We got, we got a lot to cover this week, man. So, yeah, we just might not have time. We'll see. All right. Well, uh, I wanted to start uh, with our feedback this week. And uh, we, got a, we, got a, we got a whole, whole, whole bunch of emails. And some people have been complaining that the feedback segment's a little long. So I've trimmed it up a little bit. So I just wanted to start with a couple of follow-up items just real quick. The first one is we had Jonathan Thomas from the OpenShot Project on Linux Action Show on Sunday. And he mentioned in our interview with him that he would be doing an update on the development status of OpenShot 2. Well, he has posted that update, and you can find it over at OpenShotVideo.com. we got it linked in the show notes. He also gave us a shout-out for his interview on episode 314. <laughs> he loved our shirts. That was pretty That's cool. Awesome. that We had <laughs> we were, we, were uh, we all had matching shirts. Uh, so he also gives us a video preview of OpenShot 2.0. I'll play a little bit of it. It's got quite a soundtrack to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's looking good. So he's got a he's got about a, almost a two-minute clip here of uh, of the new editor in action, working, moving clips around. And the timeline looks like it moves real slick. And then uh, later on in the video, he'll show about how the UI is fully customizable. You can dock all the windows around and stuff like that. So, uh, kind of exciting. You can watch the full video over at openshotvideo.com and uh, get a little uh, preview taste of uh, how it's coming. He says there's been 56 commits in the past 30 days. Uh, wow. He says the OpenShot development is the most active it's been yet. Things are moving forward at a very fast pace. And he included uh, some recently completed tasks. So, if you've been following this closely, you can go check it out. And one of the things that he mentioned is he was having some Windows build issues. Those look like most have been mostly nailed out and we got a comment on our youtube page somebody said uh, yeah you know the reason why i use OpenShot is because i'm planning on that cross-platform compatibility that's going to make it work for me there you go good, good all right stuff. i'm going to move into our uh, our mumble room here our virtual lug hey guys so guys we're going to read an email here from tennessee frank who uh, kind of writes in a little bit uh, in the defense of manjaro I think we had like an after-show discussion. We're like, oh, Manjaro, hmm, hmm. You know, and so I think we kind of spurred some people to write in. And uh, Tennessee Frank says, hey, Chris and Matt, love the show and I try to watch live when I can. But he can't always watch live, of course, we understand. 
He says he wants to right now. Yeah. Oh well. Hello, Tennessee Frank. <laughs> he says I wanted to stand up for Manjaro. He says I know a lot of Arch users don't really like. They kind of hate on it. They say it's not Arch. And granted, they do have their own repos now, and they aren't quite as cutting edge as a pure Arch install would be. But for those of us who don't have a PhD in Arch, it gives us a way to access all of the Arch goodness and the AUR without all the issues associated with doing a proper Arch install. I've tried just about every Arch-based KDE distro out there, including Antergos. And thus far, Manjaro is the only one that worked well for me and gives me Bluetooth support and Wi-Fi right out of the box. I think that's a big one. Uh, I really think that those who use pure Arch really need to get over it and accept those of us who use Manjaro and the other offshoots as fellow Arch users, even if we didn't build our own system from scratch. We're using Pac-Man, same as Arch users, and we do appreciate the power of Pac-Man, and hopefully with the help of distros like Manjaro, we'll learn enough to move to pure Arch installs sooner or later. Until then... Let's try to play nice with each other and stop all the hate. Besides, there are plenty of Windows users for us to hate on. LOL. Catch you on the show. Keep up the great work. Tennessee Frank. So there was one defensive man, Jero. And then we had a second emailer, just kind of in the same vein, write in to say, uh, this is Carrie. And Carrie said, about Arch, Manjaro, and Wi-Fi. Hi, Chris and Matt. Love the show. I just have a small rebuttal about the comment that why would people use Manjaro instead of pure Arch? I wish I was on the Mumble channel that last Tuesday because I could have said this. But a good reason why, and I think many other people use Manjaro instead of Pure Arch, is because of the Wi-Fi drivers. Trying to figure out how to install Wi-Fi drivers is difficult enough, but I don't have easy access to an Ethernet dongle. In the new age of extremely thin laptops, I'm guessing, uh, I'm, uh, he says this is in the age of new extremely thin laptops where you almost always need an Ethernet dongle now. Uh, uh, I'm guessing the Debian, Arch, and many other Ethernet by default distros will start running into this issue more and more as these laptops become more popular. Although... Maybe this is just an issue of non-free software. So that's an interesting angle, too, of, you know, the hardware support. Don't you think, Matt? Well, you know, I mean, so I've actually had one instance, was not with Wi-Fi. It was actually with an Ethernet, uh, an Ethernet situation to where Integros was not seeing it, you know, which is essentially pure arch for all intents and purposes. Manjaro did. Kind of, no, normally, this wouldn't be a big deal except for the one little bit that if you want to install the operating system, you kind of have to have internet. So that was kind of a deal breaker for me. So, of course, on that machine, I went with, I went with Manjaro. Mm. On most other machines, though, whether it be uh, Integros or, or, or um, and Manjaro, I've never really had a problem with wireless stuff. Um, I Just personally, my own experience. Uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, as far as like people that don't like uh, Manjaro or do like Manjaro, honestly, if you're a Manjaro fan, hey, that's awesome. You know, don't worry about what other people think about it. If it's working for you, stick with it. Don't sweat it. And then to that, Matt, uh, I mean, Rod really. Corpse, go ahead. You wanted to make a point. Yeah, but it, it's it was mainly to talk about the elitism of Arch people, and it's not that Arch users say you're not using real Arch. It's that Arch users say specifically the people who are in the community helping people is if you're not using Arch, you shouldn't be coming to Arch people for help. So then people who are Manjaro have a completely different kernel. They've modified their kernel and put extra pieces into it. That means that there's many aspects where it's just going to create breakage when you have Arch packages in a different distro and then claim that they're compatible when they're actually not. And then you go to the Arch packagers and maintainers and ask them what's the problem. And you're like, they say the same thing that the Ubuntu people would say to Mint users. You're using a different distro. Stop Stop expecting us to help you with a different distro. Go ahead, Popia. You were—I think you're about to say exactly what I was just thinking. Yeah, I think uh, Rotten hit the nail on the head. We get—we get exactly the same thing with um, with Ubuntu uh, in our IRC channels. You know, we get um, 
mint people coming in or mint users coming in and saying you know my my system's not working and i'm using ubuntu when in fact they're using an ubuntu derivative mint and it could it's not just mint it could be any derivative and i think mm-hmm. this is one of those growing pains of any derivative of another distro where they don't have a wide variety of support that they they often direct people to the upstream support channels or people inadvertently go to the upstream support channels and they find that upstream tends to get lost because it's not actually upstream that they're running. Riley, I wanted you to get your uh, repo point in about Manjaro. Go ahead. Yeah, the main thing that really bugs me about Manjaro is how they manage the uh, repos and how they test the packages because I know there's no way on earth with a small team that they had that they can test all those packages hold them back for two weeks and call it stable. There's no way. I'm sure they test some of them, but to hold a package back just two weeks and call it stable and call it a day, this doesn't make sense to me at all. They'd have to have testing on a pretty large scale. Yeah, Nine people with about 10,000 packages. Yeah. Yes, exactly. There's no way they can do that. Wimpy, go ahead and give me the dev perspective on this. Well, um, uh, Rotten sort of hit it on the head there. Um, There has been some aggravation with um, the Arch developers and the Manjaro developers where we change things because we're a rolling release and then we get accused of deliberately uh, breaking Manjaro <laughs> when, when packages roll into Manjaro at offset intervals because the, the way that things trickle from Arch into Arch is controlled and I don't know that's <laughs> matched with Manjaro but um, also what um, was it Riley was saying? Um, is also true. I, I I got a lot of flack from from some Manjaro users when um, I released uh, Mate 1.8, and they were all stating that you know in two weeks, when it all trickled into Manjaro, it would be stable. And I was making the point, well, I wasn't going to do anything in two weeks. Right. So what was going to make these packages what more stable in two weeks' time, other than the the passage of time? Right. And so, exactly. They- you just have to wait two weeks in order to get that next patch in. This is the key question about Manjaro for me. Um, uh, this, if, if, if I have yet to have heard a great answer to it because to me it seems like one of the few distributions that could pull off a successful testing branch like this would be distributions with the size install base of Debian or Ubuntu. Like you just because. Because such a niche of your base is going to be running on test, and then a niche of that niche will have all of the packages installed. So even with 10,000 users running on a test version of a distribution, a small subset of them are going to have the package installed that you have installed. So it could literally come down to maybe 100 people use that same package. Maybe those people issued the update in that two weeks time period and uh, tested it. And if maybe they ran into a bug... Maybe they reported it. So now maybe you're down to a dozen possible people that would actually do that. So to me, it, the only way to prove a system like that is with massive scale and demonstrated ability to catch bugs before they ship. And I don't know if we've seen either one of those in Manjaro's case yet. Um, I think that they, they just wait for a packages to be in Arch for uh, two weeks so they see if they're enough stable that nobody says there's something wrong with this. Right. I think that the two weeks help because Arch user, uh, there's a high, higher chance of Arch users to report a problem. Wimpy, could you touch on the testing process for Arch there? Yeah, so um, 
this doesn't apply necessarily to the community repositories, but the um, the core and extra repositories. There's um, a, a, a testing. So everything that goes into core and extra has to go into testing first, and it requires a number of developers to then sign off on those packages, meaning that you've actually used those packages out of the testing repositories and agree that they work and they don't break things. So that's the testing that happens within Arch. So when things land in Arch, they have already gone through a testing process. So further delaying the packages you know with a derivative um distribution doesn't actually right add I mean, anything to the testing the real benefit um, would be had to get to have a distribution that got maybe more people testing well quite and and what i do is I, i'm putting most of my packages into community and there's no official um uh, testing sign off there uh, unless there's a rebuild because of an underlying library change um, but what I do is I host um, some development repositories and the the users that I'm in contact with through Google Plus and other you know online forums, they actually run these things for, for weeks or months in some cases before they actually make it into um, you know, production releases. So it's well tested. Yeah. But the other thing I wanted to touch on uh-huh. is that there has been occasion where there's been security updates that we've applied in our that haven't trickled through immediately into Manjaro. So you've got a, a bigger um, attack window. Right. It's still, though, in relative to some other distributions, turnaround times, a pretty tight window. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's, there's well, an ad hoc arch security team. Really being, yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. As Matt points <laughs> out, I mean, Manjaro I, I is a just, desktop. I, I, I always found that to be such a crap answer. I just, I, I can't, yeah. I mean, I'll give you the other stuff, but that was, come on, you know. Yeah. I, I, I well, there's other flaws with Manjaro too. We can go other. You can go through if you want. Well, but I didn't want like, this to be a Manjaro. I mean, because these guys are writing in a defense, and I, I guess I wanted to say this is a. I mean, I think there's a place for hardware support, and like Matt says, for offline install. That's obviously there's a there's a need for that when it comes to installing Arch. Uh, I mean, well, out of the bug testing is not done Manjaro by Manjaro. I mean, like most of my PCs are Arch, but there's one specifically that I don't want to screw with. I leave it alone. I run Manjaro on that for a reason because I'm not updating every bloody day. Because quite frankly, you really to be proactive, you need to actually be in front of that and paying attention. To yeah, there, there is almost an inherent benefit in having yeah. slowed down updates so, just for that purpose. Yeah. So for myself, it's you know it's a distro that serves a purpose in that regard. Do I want it on all my machines? Not necessarily. I, I like different flavors of things for different tasks. I guess uh, I guess the reason why because I, I don't want to hate on Manjaro too much, and I was thinking yeah. maybe we should dedicate an episode. Where we kind of really get into this, and maybe br- oh, there are some things it does better than other distributions. And I, mean, it, I, I, you know, I mean, I mean, and it sounds like there's some legitimate concerns about the way they do testing, and 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 yeah. So it sounds like we could have a pretty good, robust. We might be able to dedicate a whole episode to that. I don't know. What do you guys think? Should we do an episode on this? Maybe. I, I think that's like an arch, an arch based just uh, in com, you know, conversation with Entergos and yeah. uh, Chakra and stuff like yeah, that. Maybe yeah, maybe we'll we'll let this topic air for a few weeks so we think about it because we've got some stuff planned for the next few weeks. Um, and then uh, we'll come back to this and we'll dedicate a whole show to it because I think that could be because uh, like the chat room is pointing out uh, Shaka Raka Raka Bing Bang is also yeah. you know they do something interesting <laughs> where they just support a subset of Arch packages and they so they have their well, own approach right and then of course you got Antegros and then you've got straight up Arch uh, Chris um, actually Shaka the Manjaro Dez were actually former Chakra Dez who actually, I think there was like some kind of in-house fighting that happened or something and they split off and just did their own thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. So maybe, all right. So, yeah, they're uh, not an arch derivative anymore. So yeah. hey, as, as they say, let's put a pin in it and uh, we'll come back to this in a couple of weeks because we do have Liam here and I want to get uh, to Liam to talk about uh, With a Witcher 2 and also 
We got an email in. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm not, this is a little weird. I'm not upset. It's just a little weird. We got an email in, and this is the first time this has ever happened. It's not addressed to me. It's not addressed to Matt. It's addressed to the Mumble Room. So, <laughs> okay. Mumble Room got an email nice. this week, so we're going to read that here in a oh. minute. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh they're not even not even writing to talk to Matt and I. That's cool. But uh, before we get to that, I want to thank our first sponsor this weekend. That is the great folks over at DigitalOcean. And the month of May is almost wrapping up. So if you want to go out there and use Unplugged May to give us a little boost for the month of May, I would love it. And why would you do that? Because you're going to get a $10 credit over at DigitalOcean when you use Unplugged May. So what is DigitalOcean and why would you want a $10 credit? Man, I am so glad you asked me that question. It's like you knew exactly what to ask, dear audience. Well, let me tell you, DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Now, our audience is fast, but on average, users can create a cloud server in about 55 seconds, and pricing plans start only $5 per month for 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20-gigabyte SSD drive, a fast CPU, and one terabyte of transfer for $5 a month. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, and Amsterdam. But I think the thing I love the most about them is their interface is intuitive yet powerful. And power users can replicate it on a larger scale with an API. Now, that's not me. <laughs> I'm just going to take, I'll just take the easy to use <laughs> control panel. But I am appreciative of this API because there's some great apps that are propping up around it. But I could also see back from my IT days, it, I, I could very easily see DigitalOcean as sort of our remote data center uh, for like maybe an offsite baculum machine or an offsite own cloud box or, 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 or an XMPP server or whatever it was we would need where it would be really easy for everybody to connect to. I could easily see using DigitalOcean for that. And I love the fact that I could write a series of scripts and even integrate it in with pu- my Puppet setup to manage my DigitalOcean droplets. And because they have Docker so tightly integrated, you can actually use Dooku to publish applications directly onto a DigitalOcean droplet. They've got lots of Linux distribution choices. I think Arch is still available right now, so if you want an Arch machine, go grab it while you can. And use the promo code UNPLUGGEDMAY so you get that $10 credit. You can try out that $5 rig for free for two months. If you're not even sure what you would use it for, take advantage of that free two months because it's uh, because their interface is so simple to use. You're not going to get bamboozled into subscribing to something you don't want. So try out that Unplugged May promo code and just experiment with a really fast uh, uh, VPS up in the cloud that is connected to Tier 1 bandwidth on data center hardware that really performs. Just so you get a sense of what that's like if you've never gotten to experience that. And why not build yourself a little server to play with? And then... If you're like Michael Dominic for Coder Radio or myself, you can actually deploy some of your infrastructure on this. I'm waiting. There's a massive website that you've all heard about. I'm waiting for their permission to mention how they use DigitalOcean because it's such a cool setup. And the great thing about DigitalOcean is they early on invested in SSDs. Way, 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 way long way from the very beginning, they knew this is how we're going to have to do this. And we're going to have to wrap it in a package that people can really grok and really use. And the benefit of these SSD drives up on a DigitalOcean droplet is you can get such good performance, and I.O. contention is a total non-issue. And what I mean by that is back in the day, to get the kind of performance I get from my DigitalOcean droplet now, I would have to have a RAID array of at least three three or more disks to get the kind of performance I can get now off of one single SSD drive. And DigitalOcean's pricing structure is so straightforward that if I need to expand that SSD size, it's clear to me exactly what I'm going to be spending, and the value is absolutely reasonable. So go over to DigitalOcean.com, use the promo code UNPLUGGEDMAY when you check out, see what we've been talking about, go check out what an awesome product can be built using Linux technologies like KVM, of course the Linux kernel, all riding on top of amazing hardware. 
DigitalOcean.com. And a really big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux on Play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So we got this question for the Mumble Room. Not for us. Comes in from James. And James says, uh, I have multiple machines, both for work and personal. All right. So get that Mumble Room in your head. And I use them on a daily basis. My question is, how do you, the virtual lug, handle multiple systems with documents, config files, projects, installed packages, etc.? I find myself sometimes freaking out that my laptop is not exactly configured like my workstation and that sometimes I want to work on something from home. So you, virtual lug, how do you stay organized between multiple machines? Anybody want to take Bit this first? BitTorrent Sync. Ick? BitTorrent Sync. That's how I do it. Yeah. Yeah. I- that's a good tool. Uh, I've been using a lot of BitTorrent Sync myself. Anybody that, else? And, you know, if you're, it, it just got to make sure that you're using the same thing on both machines, you know, as far as uh, synchronizing, like, Google bookmarks or Firefox bookmarks or what have you. So, and then, of course, Password Manager. So, Wimpy, are you, are you syncing, like, your .config files with BitTorrent Sync? Uh, all sorts of stuff. But yes, so if uh, you search on GitHub, there's a tool called MacUp, M-A-C-K-U-P, which is a Python script, and it was originally designed to sync uh, .files and .folders to um, Dropbox. But recently, they've changed the way it works so that you can actually back it up to other cloud backends and also just to a a random target directory. So I have a BitSync folder called Profiles, and all of my dot files get backed up in there uh, using MacUp. And MacUp has a, a backup and restore facility. So I have my main workstation. I back up all my stuff and it auto-creates the sim links to all the necessary places. Hmm. And then when I go to a new machine, I just sync down the profile and then run MacUp Restore. And it sprays all of the sim links back in the right places and all of my stuff is configured and ready to go very nice so i use that for the dot files do you have do you have to uh, do you have any problems with uh, mismatched versions of software and 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 reading a config that is meant for a different version of the package or something like that no i mean i run arch on all my machines and they're all you know if not at the same version very close to the same version so i've never encountered a problem with it no that's pretty interesting. You kind of have my uh, my interest peak. So that's uh, and that's uh, Rikai's got that linked in the chat room. It looks like right now. So I'll go grab a link to that and throw it in the show notes. All right. So anybody else? I saw Dropbox mentioned a couple of times. Uh, Poby, you've been trying sync thing. Yeah, I uh, without wishing to get too aggressive, I I find it incredulous that Linux and open source people will accept. BitTorrent sync into their life. It's mm. a proprietary closed platform, mm-hmm. and and you have no idea what's going over the wire. Mm-hmm. So so I use SyncThing, and uh, it's fully open source, free software. It's written in Go. It's on GitHub, and the developer is super active and very responsive to issues and uh, bug reports. Um, it's it does pretty much the same as kind of thing as BitTorrent Sync in that you can sync a folder between multiple machines. They could all be behind a firewall. They could be opened up to uh, other people. But the key point is there's no third party that could control it or shut it down or uh, monitor what's going on. Now, Wimpy, you kind of had a response to Sync thing versus BitTorrent Sync, right? 
Um, well, only in as much that because Popey was banging on about sync thing a few weeks ago, I actually created the sync thing packages for Arch Linux in the AUR. Oh, well, thank so, you. <laughs> That's why I'm using so, your package then. Yeah, and I am actually using sync thing, but at the moment it doesn't quite do everything I need right. for me to move over to it. But I think in due course I will migrate to it. But BitTorrent Sync is the thing that got me away from Dropbox, so that's an improvement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, well we're going to get to Liam here in just a sec because I know he's been he's been patiently waiting while he eats a box of cookies because it's uh, getting late where he's at. Really quick though, and you still have time to vote. I'm just curious. This this hit the last subreddit this week. I just wanted to. Just really just thought maybe you guys would like to see the results so far of the uh, desktop environment straw poll that we launched last week. Gnome, when we recorded the episode, was ahead. It has now fallen to the second position with 20% of the votes. KDE now dominates the poll with a solid lead at 23%, so 3% over Gnome. Uh, And we've gotten a total of, uh, wow, 1,469 votes so far. And uh, I'd say, so here's here's your top five, ladies and gentlemen. Number one, actually, I'll start at the bottom. Number five, Cinnamon. Number four, XFCE. Number three, Unity. Number two, Gnome Shell. And number one, do-do-do-do-do-do-do, KDE. Not too surprised by worth, this. A little surprised by KDE. Any, yeah, there's only 8% between Unity and KDE, between the, the third and the first mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I um and I I cuz now I don't want this to come across as offensive because I actually am frequently uh you know switch over to KDE and enjoy it quite a bit. So I think KDE is a fantastic desktop. I think it's cool you can customize it. I think think Qt's I think Qt's great. However, <laughs> that said, I kind of wonder if maybe the popularity of KDE is because KDE has been so damn solid since the 4, you know, dot 1 days. That people have just kind of put their arms up and been like, ah, I'm sick of everybody screwing around with me and changing everything on me. I'm just going to get KDE figured out and I'm just going to make it work. Now, I'm not trying to say people are settling, but I am kind of saying or maybe people are settling. (laughs) 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 I don't know. I don't because I actually think KDE is great. So maybe not. Maybe people see what I see in it and they just love it. But anyways, uh, why don't uh, I'm going to grab Liam here who's been uh, Waiting uh, very politely, and uh, I'll pull him down to our uh, our uh, little restricted uh, casting room where we can hang out. It's kind of like a, a green room. Imagine velvet padded walls, Liam. And uh, so, Liam, thank you for coming on Linux Unplugged at last minute notice. I, I like literally pinged you two hours ago on Twitter. So you're a good sport. I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. So gamingonlinux.com, I love it. I read it uh, at, at least every Saturday uh, just to see. Uh, you recently had a post like... Um, uh, all the great games that came out that week in Linux. I think you had that two weeks ago. It was a great read. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Uh, and uh, on, um, oh, let's see, let me pull this up. You recently wrote a piece uh, kind of covering this whole uh, Witcher 2 fiasco. Would you would you be a, a sport and kind of update our audience in your own words on what is the big upset around Witcher 2 and um, what kind of started off this whole controversy? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um well, it's a bit of a, a bit of a harsh stance to take, really, but I think it is an important one. The the port, basically, it was a lazy port. There's no way to get around that. The Witcher 2 is not an old game. It's not like it's using old tech that the developers aren't familiar with. It originally shipped for Windows in 2011, is that right? Yeah. yeah. You're talking a couple years. Yeah. Nothing. And... We had another game, uh, System Shock 2. Now, that was ported using Wine 
that's like 15 years old. That is completely different. Right. Now, you, Linux users are obviously very technically minded. We know, you know, all the ins and outs of everything, basically. We, we are going to find out if something like this happens quite easily, as we did. So uh, what happened, right, if I have this correct, is, uh, you know, it gets announced on Steam, people start downloading, they start noticing really odd performance issues, especially if they're on uh, ATI and, and Intel, like they basically can't play the game, right? Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, when it first came out, it only worked, well, they said it only worked on NVIDIA hardware. And right. That was the first iffy thing, really. Yes. Yeah, that seemed a little strange. And then uh, people started investigating why the performance was so bad. In fact, uh, some have even claimed it ran better under Wine. So people started doing a little digging, and then they discovered, wait a minute, there's an actual Windows EXE in here. And when you launch the game, this Eon wrapper is is essentially performing the function that Wine would perform and running a Windows executable in sort of a little cocoon environment, correct? Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty much that. I mean, the virtual programming, the guys that did the port, they claim they do make code changes and they specifically tune their software for every port. But when something works vastly better in Wine than the port itself, something's not right. Now, i got to be honest with you. Uh, on my On my system... I don't know if I would have known it wasn't a native port. So I think if you have the right setup, if you have basically an NVIDIA card with a proprietary NVIDIA driver, uh, I mean, it's I I probably played it for two, two and a half hours without issue. I haven't played it beyond that, so I don't know if it becomes unstable later on. Uh, so for me, I was kind of like, oh, cool, a game I didn't have before is now available on Linux, and I kind of just stopped the thought process there. But the point that you brought up in your article is this could set a bad perception about linux as a gaming platform right you're worried that maybe uh windows pc switchers will look at it and go oh linux you mean that platform that has all the emulated ports that don't run as good as the native games if i ran windows on the same box you're worried about that kind of perception right well yeah for for linux to grow for linux gaming to grow we have to have games and if developers keep coming along pushing games out like this then people that switch from Windows or Mac to Linux are going to notice the difference. They're going to start talking about it. Well, isn't this already happening on the Mac? Because when I think of a lot of Mac games, I think of crappy Windows ports. To be honest with you, this seems to be an already problem that plagues the Mac platform, and they're selling them through the Mac App Store. Yeah, um, (laughs) it's a funny thing. The, The guys who ported The Witcher actually do a fair few of the Mac ports, and they're also not very good. So let me ask you this. Are you opposed to the idea if, if, let's just say we live in some sort of magical pony land where happiness is abound, and they can just, out of nowhere, develop a really solid wrapper, where, I mean, really, it's, it's actually a pretty good performing game, uh, and they've really done some magic there. Are you okay with that kind of port, or is it a principal thing where it needs to be native code? Because uh, I, I'm, I've been sensing... I've been sensing it's it's a bit about the technology, too. It's not just about the functionality of the game. Is that right? Uh, originally, yeah. My my complaint originally was that they, they didn't port it natively at all. It was using a wrapper. But then so many people made comments about the performance and that it doesn't matter as long as it works. And that's true. If it works, that's great. That's what we need. But the point about this is it doesn't work for a lot of people, and the wrapper is the source of those problems. Right. Yeah, and I could see that reputation thing. 
uh, becoming a big problem. But don't you think in a way the overly verbose reaction from the Linux community will sort of um, promote that image because we're drawing so much attention to it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, some people have just gone way too overboard. I mean, one of the developers came on and sort of tried to speak to people on the Steam forum and he got... Oh, he got destroyed by people. It was horrible. Yeah, I saw that. One of the Eon guys came on and he said, uh, you know, we we, uh, we find we, we consider it to be a good middle ground because uh, these shops simply just don't have the budget to do a full native port. And so he got this developer says, look, it was either this wrapper or no game at all. What would you prefer? What would Liam Ryder for gaming on Linux.com? What would you prefer? No game at all or a port like this? Personally, for me, I mean, this is just speaking for myself, I would have personally preferred no port to what I've got. It's about the reputation for you. Well, it's not just that. I mean, I went out and actually bought it myself as a gamer to write about it, to video it. I can't even run it. Wow. Yeah, that would be very easy. Yeah, see, I got lucky, right? I bought it on sale at 80% off and I had an NVIDIA machine to try it on. I didn't even try it on an Intel rig here at the studio. Uh. I, I actually have an NVIDIA machine. I mean, I'm using the proprietary drivers. I get about 9 to 10 frames per second on lowest settings. You know, honestly, I would rather the developers just work with, like, Wine. And uh, just, like, here, if Linux users want to play our game, use Wine. I don't know. Well, that was the stance of um, uh, the guy behind ID Software. That was what he said originally. He said that for Linux gaming to succeed, something along these lines, that people need to push Wine, basically. I, yeah, I mean, no, I don't. I just mean in in some circumstances, I don't want to have a whole bunch of emulator, not whatever, not emulators, but you know what I mean. Uh, I guess I, I kind of wanted to wrap on 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 this question and and ask you if uh, if you think this has set perhaps a bad taste in developers' mouths now. Uh, probably has a bit. Yeah, the the backlash of it has probably not made them very happy. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to drag you up to the lion's den, uh, and we'll let the virtual lug uh, toss some questions at you and see if they have anything you they want to ask you. So, uh, uh, virtual lug, uh, Pope, why don't we start with you? Is, is there any questions you wanted to ask before uh, we jump to the next segment? Yeah, I, I'm i not so fussed about having a wine port. I, I, I mean, as in... I don't mind. I, I like Limbo. I don't really care that it runs under Wine or Eon or whatever the, any of these enabling technologies are in the same way that I don't care that Minecraft runs under Java. Uh, you know, I, I don't care what technology enables it so long as it works. And it, it, it depresses me that the Linux community would be happy to file a bug about their keyboard not working or their mouse not working to their distro. But when a developer of a game comes along and uses a third-party enabler to make their game work on Linux, rather than file a bug and say, hey, you're, you know, in a friendly, respectful way, rather than saying your game doesn't work very well on my platform, they go full bore hassling the person on Steam. And I, I think that's just the wrong way to yeah, approach it. that was the wrong way. I agree there. Uh, I, I, I do see that. That that was the part that kind of went dirty that leaves the bad taste. Daredevil, I wanted to get a chance because you say maybe we're looking at this the wrong way. Yeah, I, I agree totally with Poppy. And also, it's like, this is not a matter of Linux. It, we're, we're talking about as if the problem was that developers didn't acknowledge the platform. They're starting to acknowledge. When they started to develop for Windows, they also had quirks and they had to deal with it. Same way when they go to consoles. So that's true. Yeah, if you look I, at it, like I old totally DOS games coming to Windows, man, what a wreck that was for a while. 
yeah, it takes it takes a while, and it's just a matter of going reporting bugs and saying like, look, this doesn't work. Maybe even if you buy the game and the game doesn't work, pay attention to the license that you accepted. Maybe the license is like Windows license that if it doesn't work for you, you can actually get a refund. Yeah, yeah. If you're gonna use a wrapper, I think that should be SOP. Now, rotten. Uh, I think I like where you're going. You're saying maybe developers could take advantage of that uh, open source uh, ecosystem. Yeah, I was just saying, like, if you had, if the game developers decided to use Wine as the, the platform instead of using something that's, you know, the, the Eon thing or making their own, if they used Wine, they could actually be helping Wine in general. So even rent, other apps that are not gaming apps could be benefiting from the, the uh, completion stuff that they're they're fixing for their stuff. On wine, yeah, that's so kind of what I was saying. Like a Photoshop or something could be at some point usable because wine would be so far, you know, expanded on right. With a, like, it would make it viable you know, for future X games or too, GL or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Riley, go ahead on. Uh, maybe you think they took the wrong approach. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, my main issue with all this is how they like how people discovered it because they didn't and, like originally say it was a rapper and said, "Oh, hey, here's a good for it." And by the way, it's going to be this amount of money, but it mm-hmm. ran horrible, and it took people like having to like look at it to figure out there was a rapper. Yeah, so, I got to be upfront about those things at first. I, I thought I, people be more accepting about it. That was the position I took on the Linux Action Show, but then I started thinking about uh, Liam's point about uh, creating a bad reputation for Linux gaming, and then I thought, you know, geez, if you're putting it right there in bold letters in the description, this is a wrapped game. It's almost like you're screaming attention to the fact that the games on Linux are a bit of a second-class citizen in some cases. So I, I do, as a as a buyer, I want the disclosure. As somebody who wants to see Linux advance as a gaming platform, I'm not so sure I want our games branded with their weaknesses necessarily. Is that is that one screwed-up well, thing or what? <laughs> it's the way they brand it. Like, if you branded it with, uh, you know, it's a, it's a wrapped game or something like that, it would be bad. But what if you said... Uh, you know, wine enabled or powered by wine or something like that. People who know what that means would rec- recognize that, but it wouldn't be have some kind of stigma attached to it. Colonel, yeah, Linux- it would be it would be nice if if wine carried a, a cachet that was like powered by wine. Oh wow, this game is powered by wine. Oh, that's it interesting. Would probably work on my system. Not powered by wine. Oh crap! It's a it's a nasty port that's just yeah, like even a box version. label. Right. It becomes a it oh, becomes yeah. a, a brand you almost want to be associated with. And Colonel Linux, right. I think that's sort of the, what Colonel Lynx was trying to get at is he's, uh, I'm not positive, but I suspect he thinks that rappers make games look like Linux was an afterthought. Well, so my thought, uh, so here's the thing, is let's not forget what Wine is. Wine exists so that we can run Windows software on Linux. It's not, when you say something like powered by Wine, it's not like it's some sort of, you know, fancy game engine uh, that was developed to, to give a, uh, an advantage to gamers, even though, like you were saying, in certain use case scenarios, that seems to be how it works out. But the reality of it is, it's it's a compromise. It's it's developers use it because yeah. they don't actually want to commit to Linux, well, and that bothers no. me. Well, what about like? No, that's 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 not true. Wine exactly is something that empowers Linux users to run software that wasn't written for their platform. It's a right. it's a brilliant piece of software. It's still a hack job, though. It's still a hack job. No, no, no it's, it's, it's 
But it needs to be continued. That's why the more work we put into one, the better it gets. And like, for example, the gaming thing, well, yeah, it was it's an afterthought, but it already is an afterthought. That's why wine makes it possible to make that afterthought well, a, a reality. Yeah, and maybe you couldn't have wine be like this prestigious brand, but you might be able to have a pretty good reputation. I mean, just look at DOSBox. Like when you hear good old games is selling a game and it ships in, a, in, in DOSBox, your, your first thought is, oh, well, I know that's probably just going to work flawlessly because DOSBox just handles that for me. And wine could get to that point, I think, where wine has a re- – oh it, oh, it ships with wine? Well, I mean, I know that's not native, but I know because it ships with wine, it's just going to work flawlessly, just like we think about DOSBox games now. And I'm yeah, not I'd, rather, I'd rather have an afterthought than no thought. Go ahead. Exactly. Go ahead, Colonel Lynch. And I, I don't disagree with – I'm glad. Don't get me wrong. I am very happy that the wine project exists. I think they do a lot of good, and I think it works very, very well in a lot of cases. What I'm getting at is that the the the, the mentality behind the reason wine exists is because – I mean at the end of the day, wouldn't it be better if – the? and I'm not saying that this would happen, but wouldn't it be better if developers said we're going to develop for Linux because yes. we're just, yeah. because that's that's what we want to – that's the open platform and that's where we see – our development, and so I'm glad that wine exists, but it, I still feel like it's a compromise. Right? Yeah, it is, but I, I agree. Think I agree with I agree with you, Colonel. Uh, that that would be an amazing thing if we lived on that planet, but we don't. <laughs> we live on planet Earth, where <laughs> developers don't see that as their primary goal. Their primary goal is to get as many people buying their software as possible. Yeah. And if that means if that means getting it onto people's machines via a shim a layer that that enables them to do minimal effort in order to deliver it to as many people as possible then well done then well and that's how a lot of software development is done too i mean let's you know look at look at a lot of platforms like android there's there's layers of it and i think too i see it as a transitional thing um because i think like Pope is saying we do live in the world right now where it's uh, you know, it's suicide if you only targeted Linux as a large gaming shop. It might work as an indie, but as a large gaming shop, you'd literally have to shut the doors. So uh, you can understand their business perspective of it, uh, but it doesn't mean that maybe that will be the case in 10 years. I mean, we're looking at this, you know, we look at this in a very, you know, at, maybe at, the, at occasionally at a five-year perspective, but the reality is, is that unlike a commercial operating system like Windows or Mac OS X, uh, there is a much longer curve potential for Linux, and five, ten years could be short term for Linux desktop. That could be, you know, who knows? So, who knows what it's going to look like in five, ten years? Maybe it'll be the other way around. Maybe there'll be some sort of shim that people are using to run GL games on top of Windows properly. We'll just have to find out. But yeah, I don't like the precedent. I don't want to set the reputation because I don't want Linux to get in the spot where the Mac is right now, where, uh, you know, the drivers aren't so hot, which, in fact, the Linux drivers are already better. But it, it won't. It, if you look at, if you look at um, Steam now, compared to Steam, Steam to where it was two years ago, where yeah. there was Windows and Mac, right? right? Yep. Then, then along came Linux, and Valve made a big thing about uh, being available on uh, the Linux desktop. And now it's pretty obvious uh, that, the whole reason for that was a stepping stone towards Steam OS. In right, fact, right. if you look at if you look at Steam now and you look at the the categories of applications available in Steam, there is Windows, Mac, and the last category is Steam OS plus Linux yeah. plus Linux. So it's quite clear that that Linux is seen seen as a primary goal for Valve, and they are pushing it to developers as much as they can. So I I don't see. OS X, beca- uh, yeah. Linux becoming anywhere near like OS X. That's the difference. It will be 
Yeah. Yeah, I you nailed it. Exactly. That's exactly it. That's exactly how I see it too. Uh, Linux is a much more serious platform for Valve, and it's because of that long tail um, where uh, this sounds so corny, but it's literally the advantage of basing your platform and product around Linux is in your in a, in a very real sense you get to dictate the future of your own product where when they're attached to Windows, they're attached to whatever the crazy shenanigans Microsoft wants to pull off. And that was just, that was long-term, it's not viable for them. And it would make sense. I mean, could you imagine if I was if I was gay, man, I would be up at night worried about what's going to happen to Microsoft and Windows because that's where all my money's coming from. So of course I'd want to take that under my own control. That's, I think he was, and that's why yeah. we're looking at Steam OS and Linux ports of all the games. Right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I think that's why I'm not as worried about these kind of shims now because I don't think we're going to get stuck in Macland for exactly the reasons Popey just said. So that, our friends. Woo, that's loud. Woo. That's our Valve update. Ooh. Ooh. Boy, did you feel that one, Matt? Could you feel that oh, Valve man. update? Oh. I felt that clear down here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so... um. Liam, thank you very much for joining us. You, my friend, are welcome to uh, not only join, stay for the rest of the show, but join us anytime. I know it's a little late where you're at, but join us anytime. The Mumble Room's open, and uh, we'd love to have uh, your input. And uh, keep up the great work at Gaming on Linux and uh, the writing for Linux Voice as well. We'll have links to uh, those Twitter feeds in the show notes if folks want to check out Liam and Gaming on Linux. So, all right, I have a big announcement to make. So everybody knows that uh, we've been working on a show, another Linux show, How to Linux. And so that is not what I'm going to talk about today. <laughs> That's very close, though, too. So uh, it's very, very close. Uh, I check the site often next week, potentially, if everything goes as planned, but maybe the week after. Who knows? Uh, How to Linux is very close, though. But I'm going to tell you about something else I'm doing. Another show that has been, it's been on my mind since we canceled Jupiter at Night. And I, 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 Jupiter at Night, if you're not familiar, because it's a long time ago, and not, not a lot of people watched it. One of the reasons why we canceled it. It was, a, it was a nightly show. Every night, except for Fridays. And man, oh man, is that a big commitment. But I, I like the idea of it. I've always liked the idea of doing a daily show. Uh, and I like the idea of doing a daily tech show. Because I think a lot of you guys know especially if you've listened to the back catalog of Linux Unplugged, I'm not super happy with the state of journalism, specifically in the open source and Linux arenas. I think it's pretty crap. And I think the journalism that I do like, like I, there's daily tech shows out there I respect a lot, like, um, like Tom Merritt's uh, uh, daily tech news show. Uh, he's a um, really good show, and he does it on his own. He's funded through Patreon, uh, and uh, I have a lot of respect for his work. But there's... You know, even in that case, even in Tom's case, where he has a really good show, um, I don't want to offend people, but there's sometimes a valley bias when you're in the valley. And there's a Google and Apple bias. And all of these networks have tech shows, but they're looking at them from the perspective of a Mac user or a Google advocate or a Windows user, right? There's nobody that's looking at it that is thinking about things in terms of open source, in terms of community. and, And a lot of times... A lot of times what drives me so crazy is they'll be covering and talking about a technology that's already existed in open source for years and they have no idea it even exists because it's just not on their radar and it's not giving it fair coverage. So I was thinking about a daily show that would start next week called Tech Talk Today. 
Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 7 p.m. GMT. We'll do a daily show Monday through Thursday, and that'll be just sort of kicking off the day, the broadcast day at JB1 every single day. Released for download uh, a little bit later. We pick 9 a.m. because uh, it gives you a, there's a, there's a sort of a lull between online streams at that time of other morning shows. It also means on the East Coast it'll be lunchtime, so people might be able to join us during their lunch break. And I think we can also then get the show out in, ter- in time for people's commute. And it'll be 7 p.m. GMT, so folks over there can maybe listen after dinner. So I think that's going to be that's, it, cool. it's really an experiment. I mean, because a daily show is a lifestyle. It's a huge commitment. It, it, it really is. Some, it's, it's crazy. And what I want to do is I want to have a rotating cast of friends who join me. I mean, sometimes I might just do it solo. Uh, but I want to have something where we get to hear from different voices, from, from, from our hosts, from folks on Mumble. Uh, and I would even love to have yes, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. I see you're starting to get. I see where I was going earlier, aren't you? Yeah, uh, yes. Because I was doing a little teasing on the pre-show, and I know this one, this last one might be crazy, but gosh, it'd be fun to even sometimes have people in studio. I mean, like obviously, like I'll have I'll have Ange and Chase in studio from time to time, and uh, those kinds of things. And you know, obviously, called Matt on Skype. So we'll do all our regulars. I'd love to have some folks in studio. And uh, it's going to be, because it is daily, it's going to kind of allow for the show to uh, meander a bit. And, and I want to kind of underscore something. It's not going to be just the tech news headlines. I mean, it's going to, a lot of times it'll be a topic and discussion derived from the tech news of the day, looked at through the perspective of a Linux and open source user. And not like it's going to be heavily biased in one direction, but it's going to at least, that perspective will at least be considered when these topics are discussed. And I think sometimes that can provide a, spe- a special kind of insight that gets missed in the daily analysis. So the show is going to be able to do that on a day-to-day basis. I'm going to be honest with you guys, though. This is going to be my show, okay? This is just going to be something I'm doing. And sometimes when there's not a lot going on, I might talk about barbecue. I mean, really, this is going to be – when you're doing a daily Yum. show – Huh? Yum. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. I mean, that yeah. might be okay, right? <laughs> uh, so I don't have all the details totally worked out yet because uh, – you know, like one of the things we're considering doing is um, maybe having a, I don't know, it might not be, well, I don't know if it's going to be video yet. I'm still working that out because we can do a lot quicker turnaround if it's audio only. But I, I have a feeling we'll do video so that way we can put it up on on YouTube and, and stuff like that. So it'll probably be video and audio. It'll be audio focused, though, so that way we can do quick turnaround. The daily format, you know, what I kind of am envisioning is we're going to do uh, discussion We'll have at the beginning talk about one or two big topics. Essentially, instead of hitting you with all the stupid crap, uh, we'll just talk about the one or two stories that actually matter that day, have a little discussion around them, and then uh, take mumble feedback and calls towards the latter half of the show. I've also got some plans I'll talk more about in the show for the days I can't make it, so that we will still have a broadcast. I've got something kind of fun planned there that I, that longtime fans might recognize that I've wanted to do for a while, too. So we've even got kind of a good filler for the days where maybe for some reason I can't actually get in the studio and do a show that morning. Because, man, 9 a.m. is early. I mean, let's just be honest. I was actually, the first time I thought about it, I was like, should I do it at 6 a.m.? Nope, nope, take that right off the table. Can't do it at 6 a.m. Uh, so here's, here's kind of the second big shoe that drops on this. Uh, there's going to be advertising maybe. I'm thinking about maybe doing, I don't know. It depends on if advertisers are interested. I was also considering making a community spot where maybe we could do a, a discounted community ad for something going on out there or a distribution. I, I don't know. I don't know. It, it'll depend on sponsor interest because one of the other things I think I want to do is I think I'm going to make this a Patreon-funded show. And it's, it's more than just about the show on Patreon. 
and, and we might base the funding on a certain levels. There won't be any sponsorships. It'll be ad-free. But what I want to do is I want to create a funding source for the network. So essentially, this Patreon that I'll be setting up will be a general fund that the revenue from that fund will go into the JB1 studio. Upgrades, facility upgrades, hardware. Uh, and it'll be a way for the community to use Patreon to fund the Jupiter Broadcasting Network, help our growth, because we are, you know, we have exceedingly new, higher new expenses. I mean, just from where we went from moving to JB1, uh, recording out of my house, to a dedicated townhouse with staff and new equipment. I mean, it's just our expenses are beyond what they've ever been. We knew that would happen. But the question I have to ask myself is, do I want to press more on the advertising side or do I want to experiment with Patreon? Because like I said, this show itself is a grand experiment. I mean, a daily show? I don't know. Can I do it? Can I, can I fund future developments of the network through a Patreon model? And as a thank you, we create a daily show and we create an exclusive club of folks who are, who are supporting us through Patreon. And we'll set milestones up so you'll know what things we bring into the studio, what the different milestones get us. I also want to see if we can do things like potentially get the funding to a level where I could finally go on the road and do a road show. I've been talking about taking shows on the road for over a year now. The problem is, is we need a good financial position to be able to stand on. And right now I'm really comfortable with our advertising model because we have a very small selective advertisers that we genuinely all of the hosts really love and we're happy to talk about. And I, I, I feel like right now we have a good balance between content and ads. And I don't, I'm not totally opposed to adding more ads, adding more ads, but I think maybe the better route to go is through the Patreon system because it has been a smashing success for Unfiltered. People who have switched over to it love it because the, the, the financing is right up in front and center, you know, just like a Kickstarter project. It's right there. You can see where we're at. You see what our milestones are. You see once we reach each milestone, what we get. There's a content distribution system built in just for folks who are patrons so we can have exclusive content through, through this portal for them. Uh, it's a really cool system. If you want to see it, how we do it for Unfiltered, just go to patreon.com slash unfilter. And right now, through Patreon, let me see, you know, I'll pull it up on the screen right now because I think we're over $2,000 now getting raised on Patreon for Unfiltered, which to me, this is a huge, because, you know, this is, this is going to fundamentally change independent media production. Because it really makes the show accountable to the audience. When you have a crowdfunded show like this, it's no longer picking the content that gets the most clicks that, that then generates the highest numbers for advertisers. It's about generating content that makes that 181 people happy. Think about the difference in content creation when you're trying to make 181 people happy versus as many freaking clicks as you can get so that way you can charge advertisers. That changes the fundamental recipe of a show. And I want to apply that to a daily show where we talk about tech, we talk about news from a Linux and open source perspective, and that money use, is used to fund the future growth of Jupiter Broadcasting. I don't know if it's possible. Like I said, it's an experiment. And I want to start it on Monday. So that's really soon. Because, <laughs> you know, it's something we've been thinking about for a long time, but to actually pull the trigger on a daily show like that, I don't know if I can do it, but I'm going to give it a go. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Um, how long how long would this, would this show be? About 15 to 30 minutes, depending on the topic of the day. And would it be only working weekday or weekends as well? Monday through Thursday. 
because I have, ah, so yeah. the American definition. Of well, I that. hate working on the no, Daily I, Show. The no, Daily Show definition. Essentially, what it is because Fridays are all packed with like uh, behind the scenes business stuff that I need to be off air for. You know, like phone calls and emails and stuff like that. I have to say, this is the first I've heard of it, and it sounds brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I wanted Very to invite cool. you on the Monday show as my co-host. Oh, oh, hang on. I know, I know. I'm just bringing it to you on you on the air, but that was my touchy because <laughs> I want to. You know, we have great discussions in the mumble room. And, and and you'll be one of, of many that I want to pull in and just have a one-off, really casual. I mean, this show is going to be extremely low-key. It's something that you'll be able to pop in. You're not going to get hit in the face too hard. It's going to, like, if you had a long day, you can drive home to it. If you're getting ready in the morning, you can listen to it. It's not – actually, to be honest, it might be a tad offensive sometimes because I was thinking about just being brutally honest about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> not holding anything back, but like uh, I'd prefer it. I think that'd be the way to go. Yeah, you know, yeah, just, I agree with Matt. I think that like uh, it being more relaxed and uh, just shooting the breeze, but being very tight yeah. and having a focus. I like the sound of that. Yeah, and it's also gonna, it's going to be a great way for folks who like you guys know we have a bunch of shows on the network, but you know you don't always have time to listen to every single one. So in a sense, it'll be a network show too, where I can say, hey, you know, this week on BSD now. They interviewed one of the co-founders and co-creators of ZFS. So if you're interested in ZFS, you might want to tune in this week's. Like we can give mentions to that kind of stuff, so people who will have essentially a Master Jupiter Broadcasting feed to get updated on that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm I don't know. I mean, I told myself when I stopped doing Jupiter at night, if I ever started doing a daily show again, I'd have to like really commit to it. So we're calling it Tech Talk Today. Tech Talk Today. T T T. And uh, I've already registered techtalk.today. So, I mean, that seems like a done deal because I got dot .today. It's like, okay, that's the name. <laughs> dot so you're today. set on the name then. Yeah? Yeah, I like that. So anyways, <laughs> yeah, hmm? marinate on that, Popey. I'd, I'd love to have you join me. And we'll set up times yeah, with man. folks in the mumble room, and uh, you guys can come on there. Uh, Colonel Linux, I'm looking at you as potentially another one, and get Ick on there as well, and Rotten. And now, of course, all, you know, a bunch of people, it's just as, as time goes on and we have good conversations in the mumble room, I might pull people aside and say, hey, do you have some time? The other thing that's cool about it is uh, we might, like, you know, for like Liam right now, it's late where he's at. Like, I could maybe do something with him earlier in the day to help people across the pond who are staying up really late to chat with us at a 2 p.m. on a Pacific, at Pacific time. So uh, I, I think it's going to give us an opportunity to also pull in folks from the other side to get another perspective on things. I'm looking really forward to that. Maybe get a few accents on the air from time to time instead of just my droll. I will warn you, though, there's the times where, I, you know, it's a daily show. I maybe just didn't have time to lighten somebody up. It might just be me Great. complaining about something. Yeah. If you can't can have Popey, I'll, I'll do his accent for you. Okay. Well, hold on. As long as, it, <laughs> as, long as, it, as long as we can get uh, Dave trying to get to Southern accents. <laughs> yeah, or we could do southern accents too. So I, wouldn't I, um, everyday show be overwhelming and people would just stop watching it because it's everyday and then just can't watch it? Yeah. No. For some. No. To... I mean, that's going to happen for some people, but then for some people, they won't be able to get enough. I think, I think it might be cool the, because it'd, it'd the be length kind of that like he's talking end. about keeping it at, I don't think it'll be a problem because yeah. it's literally like you're doing it while you're washing dishes or something. I mean, it's really not a big time commitment. Yeah. So I don't think that'll be a problem for yeah. people. Yeah. You got another yeah. 20 I, minutes in I, your I, commute. I, you can round yeah. off your, your podcast listening with this show. Uh, I, and... I, I frequently find myself at a loss to find you know interesting content to listen to. I'm not saying we'll fit that gap, but <laughs> <laughs> I hope it does. Actually, that's literally what my goal with the show is: just to have an interesting show every day. And there'll be some days where it's very tech focused, very Linux focused, and there'll be some days where maybe it's you know a, a little off. 
the beaten path. But I think that's what's kind of fun is to have a show where we have a little room to do that and see what comes of it and see who we meet in the community and all kinds of things. So I'm kind of looking forward to it. So it'll start on Monday if I get all my S together, which I better now that I've said something on the air. Tech Talk today starting next Monday. Let's see. So if we're recording this on the 27th, that means June 2nd, first Monday of June. Love to have you guys join us live because I'm going to try to have the mumble room open too, so we can get a little bit like a little bit of a morning call in effect going where I'll maybe set up a topic and then you guys can kick it around with me. Cool, yeah. And what eventually, yeah, eventually we'll go to 24 7 coverage. No, no, <laughs> we'll see how far we get. Breaking news I think I would be very happy and very proud if we could find a really cool way to fund the network give you guys a new show, make something that's truly independent media while doing it. I mean, I'm, I'm loving the potential of it. Uh, and I, I know Patreon's a new thing. It's going to be a new system. Some people have to go create accounts. Trust me, I've been doing it for a few months now. It's a really good system. I'm really excited. So join me on Monday, Tech Talk Today Live, 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. GMT. Let's see how it goes. And uh, give it some time because it's going to be a new show. We'll see how, you know, but I want to hear your feedback too. And I'll set up email addresses and all that kind of stuff soon as well. All right. Well, uh, that's all I had for this week on the Linux Unplugged show. Some announcements, some discussion, pretty good show overall. Um, and we have some really good interviews coming up on both Unplugged and uh, LAS. If all the timing works out, uh, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit in the post show just so that way I don't commit anybody to something they can't make on air. But join us on Sunday for a really good interview about an up-and-coming distribution that a few of you have written in about and asked about. And we're going to talk with the developers. And we'll have a follow-up interview of all the timing works out. We're still trying to get it scheduled uh, in Tuesdays on Plugs. We've got a couple of back-to-back interviews that I think you guys will particularly find fascinating. So join us for that. If you don't know, you can hang out live in our virtual lug or in our chat room over jblive.tv on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific. Just go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar where we have robots that in the background, they uh, look it up on Wolfram Wolfram Alpha, and then they modify the HTML code in real time and post it on that Jupyter Broadcasting calendar site for you automatically. So you might as well go over there and take advantage of that because why else am I paying all that money for those robots? So jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get the show time in your local time zone. And then you can always join us live for the Linux Action Show on Sunday at 10 a.m. Pacific. And don't forget, we want your feedback. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Choose Linux Unplugged from the dropdown. I know. I know. It's crazy. Send us your feedback. We'll read it on a future episode. Also hit up the subreddit linuxactionshow.reddit.com to integrate your links and feedback directly into the community. It's like the Borg. All right, Matt. Well, I'll see you on Sunday for a good Linux action show, okay? All right. See you Sunday. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. We'll see you right back here next Tuesday.